This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. In Revelation chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1, and while you're focusing your attention on that text, let me remind you that today's message will conclude a four-part sermon series on heaven. And this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to speak about the four hallelujahs of heaven. We begin reading in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse number 1. John the Revelator is writing, the year is A.D. 96. He's on an island called Patmos. He's been taken there because he's been preaching the gospel and they believed that if they could take him so far away from civilization that they would give him nothing but nature to preach to. But what they did not realize is that the greatest revelation of all times would be brought down to a human man through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here we have in verse number 1, Revelation chapter 19, and after these things, I'll comment about that in just a moment. Things I heard, a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God and ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thunderings, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent, reigneth. This morning I'm speaking in the conclusion of our current series, The Realities of Heaven, on the four hallelujahs of heaven. This morning I want to speak on four instances in the Word of God where the Word, the heavenly Word, hallelujah, is mentioned. You will be amazed, I believe, at the end of this service to know exactly how important this word really is. I want you to think about that. I, I believe that this is a word that ought to be in every Christian's vocabulary. While I'm saying that, let me remind you that whenever we're out of the church and we're out in the community, people are watching our lives every day. And whatever comes out of our mouth in some way or another identifies the character of who we really are. 
So that's something that we need to be thinking about. But I think that this word, hallelujah, needs to be a vital, intricate part of our vocabulary as a believer. I believe that a Christian's vocabulary ought to be pure. It ought to be honest. It ought to be real. It ought to be respectful. And first and foremost, it ought to be Christ-like. Hallelujah, you might want to take some good notes this morning because hallelujah is a biblical word. It's sad that some Christians today get scared of the word. Some people feel that this word is too radical or it's too fanatical or it's too emotional. I believe, I really do believe this, that in many situations, even like this in a church this morning field, I believe that there are some people probably here this morning that has really wanted to use that word before. I mean, when you hear Teresa stand and sing some songs like this in the choir, Brother Kyle talking about being safe in the midst of the storm, man, that ought to put a fire in your soul. And, and I really believe that perhaps while they were singing, or you've heard a preacher preach, or you've heard a great Sunday school lesson, you've heard something that has ministered to the core of your heart and you have felt the tug of the Holy Spirit where you have literally wanted to say hallelujah. But you were wondering what your neighbor would think. Well, let me, let me just give you a heads. Turn to your neighbor and say, fear not. Fear not. Amen. Some churches, I believe, look at that word as being politically incorrect today. In fact, I know of some churches, someone told me recently that they had attended a church where it was almost, it was, the service was dead as four o'clock. Somebody visiting from an old camp meeting preaching church like ours said amen in the service and in unison, the congregation went. <laughs> I'm glad it's not like that here, amen? amen. Well, Glory, amen. <laughs> Even in some church houses, say it amen, seems to be a little undignified to some congregations. Now, let me say this first. It's true. I will give it credit. It's true that you can worship the Lord without ever using the word hallelujah. Though difficult for me to speak the words, you could probably worship him without even saying the word amen. It would be difficult for me. I don't know. You know, we talk about being on special diets today, and these people that I go see in the hospital, they're on special diets, and they ask me to do weird things for them. <laughs> they're on these special diets, and I'm thinking right now of Sister Helen when she was in the hospital, and they had her on a special diet, and 
she'd go like this and I'd get down. She wanted me to get down a little lower and then even a little lower. She said, bring me some buttermilk. <laughs> I said, Miss Helen, you can't have buttermilk. Bring it to me. So it was cold that day. I'll never forget it. Raining. And she looked up at me and she said, please. <laughs> so I go out of the hospital and go into U-Crops. Got her a quart of buttermilk. Put it in my coat. I really thought that I would have to sneak it in. But when I got to the nurse's station, I said, ma'am, I got some buttermilk. She said, take it to her. So I stuck it back in my coat. And I said, Miss Helen, look what I got. Sometimes, you know, you get into these places and they, they won't let you have salt, and they, they asked me to bring them salt. <laughs> saying amen is important to me. Without saying it, it would be like trying to eat food without salt. Some of you can't have it. I understand that. But for those of us that abuse our bodies, we have salt every day. <laughs> I'm going to be teaching on health in January. I want you to be here for that. <laughs> but some, I'm, I'm being honest with you today. Some churches everywhere, everywhere, cringe at the, at the very thought of somebody getting excited or emotional. I want you to understand something. There is nothing wrong at all with using the word hallelujah. In fact, let me say this. You've just read it in the scripture four times, and I believe this, that if hallelujah is a word fit for heaven, it ought to be a word fit for the church. Amen. Amen. I think it's good for people to, to use it in the, in the service, in the worship gathering. In fact, I like to hear a little bit more of it, an old-fashioned praise the Lord or thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, glory. I'll tell you what, it wouldn't bother me a bit. You say, well, preacher, somebody might get the wrong idea as to well, who we are. Well, I know who I am. Do you know who you are? <laughs> I, I love to see people lift up holy hands to a holy God. I love to see that. The Bible says that if we hold our peace, the very stones and rocks would cry. I'm so glad that I can tell you today and this community that's watching by internet, I'm so thankful to still be a part of a church that still believes in the old time religion. Amen. Amen. But there's just something about the word hallelujah, something special about it when it's used. Wherever I am, when I'm in a strange crowd and and I hear the word. I could be sitting in a, in a waiting room of a hospital and there, there could be a little family gathered in a huddle. And I've done this many times. I've sat on the outskirts just for a minute. And when I felt like the time was right, I would ease myself into their conversation. But I, many times I have seen elderly people huddling up in a waiting room and praying. And somebody in that circle would speak the word hallelujah. And I sat over there 
And I realize, hey, I'm one of them. You know, sometimes we get a little particular about things like this, especially when they go on in a church and we hear somebody get happy or we see somebody get close to God. Let me tell you, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, this is the only word spoken in human language the same all over the world. Hallelujah. In every language, as far as I know, I could be wrong. But as far as I know, it is pronounced the same way. There might be a little dialect difference. But theoretically, it's pronounced the same way. I want to remind you that this is not an ordinary word. That what we're reading and talking about today is not simply Christian lingo or religious slang. I want you to think about that. This is serious. I want you to focus with me this morning. I, I want to get you accustomed to it. Somebody might say, well, preacher, that's really not important, this word, hallelujah. Well, friend, let me tell you how important it is. I'm trying to prepare you for heaven. You say, what do you mean? I, I would suggest this, that if you take this word from this sermon today, learn how to spell it. Write it down. Learn how to spell it. Then when you learn how to spell it, learn how to put it in your emails or learn how to put it in your Christmas cards or learn how to put it in your letters. Then when you do that, learn how to speak it in your daily conversation. Then when you do that, listen, use it in your worship. When you do that, use it when you sing it. And then when you get the real grip on it, stand up and shout it one time. Hallelujah. Someone would say, preacher, is it necessary? I'm just a shy person. I, I'm just timid. I'm, I don't have those kind of emotions in my spirit. I don't have them in my bones. It makes me a little nervous. I'm not an emotional kind of a person. Well, let me encourage you to practice, practice, practice. There's a reason for, for practicing that word. You've already seen four instances in the scriptures. I want to encourage you to use it in your quiet time. Use it when you kneel down to pray. Use it when you get off of your knees from praying. Use it when you read the scriptures. Use it when you get out of the bed in the morning. Use it when you go to bed at night. Listen, this is a word that is going to be repetitiously, repeatedly used in heaven. That's significant. I'm telling you that you don't have to wait till you get a glorified body until the day that you get to heaven to start using this word. You'll see in just a moment how important this word is. And by the way, let me say this. This is a generation, and those of you that uh, you, you don't have to have a lot of, of uh, skills and talents and perception to look around you and know that this is a world filled with darkness. This world is filled with fear. It's filled with people that doubts and gripes and moans and complains. How they are depressed and worried. They're empty and they're alone. This is a world filled with wars and rumors of wars. Economic disaster and political turmoil. And the truth of the matter is this. We as born again believers need to learn how to live above the treachery of those things. The word teaches us that we are salt and light. And it does 
no good for this world to hear someone who professes that they know Christ as their personal Savior to live life grumbling, complaining, and moaning in this world just like somebody else who doesn't know the Lord. Now I want us to look back just at a couple of verses here this morning. Look, I'm going to explain to you these four hallelujahs. First of all, in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 1, I want to show you how these words are going to be used in heaven. Revelation number 19, verse number 1. Look at these uh, three or four words, first four words, and after these things. Now, what is John the Revelator talking about? What things? It's imperative for you to know that at this particular point in time in Revelation chapter 19, the great tribulation is closing out after seven long, horrific years. The time of Jacob's trouble is over. The seven years of tribulation. Also, you can understand when you read this prophetic book that the the plagues of chapter 16 have all passed away. And the judgments of chapter 17 and 18 are all finished. So when John the Revelator writes these four words, after these things, that's what he's talking about. All of these dreadful things, all of these events, uh, dreadful events are over with. And now the Lord Jesus is coming back in his revelation. I don't have much time now, so let me be quick with this. I have taught you well that there is a huge difference between the revelation and the rapture of Jesus Christ. I believe that the rapture is the next prophetic event on God's prophetic timetable. I believe that's what every born again believer is looking for today. The word says looking for the blessed hope. That's what we're doing today. We are looking and waiting for the blessed hope. The next thing to take place is the rapture of the church. The trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. We will meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. Seven years later is the revelation. You see, in the revelation, Jesus Christ comes back with his saints. For those people that do not believe in the rapture, listen carefully. Let me assure you of something. In the rapture, Jesus comes back for his saints. In the revelation, he comes back with his saints. Now, he cannot come back with his saints until he has first come for his saints. So this prophetic time period that we're talking about now is after the seven years of tribulation. Notice the next part of verse number one. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah. Now, I'd like for you to underline a couple of things for me real quick here. Underline those words, great voice. Now, that simply means that that's not coming from, that's not being echoed from simply four or five church members. When the Bible says great voice, it means literally what it says, a great voice. Well, how many people make up that great voice? I will tell you that it's impossible to count them. If you will hold your place here, turn back to the left real quickly to Revelation chapter 7, and I want you to see something in verse number 9. The Bible says this, and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man, no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So in Revelation chapter 19, verse number one, the Bible says, great voice. Here in this passage of scripture, the Bible says a multitude so many that no man could count. 
Did you know today, friend, that the devil has convinced people that there is no such place as heaven? And those that slightly believe that it is have some kind of distorted idea that there's not going to be a whole lot of people there, that it's just a land of make-believe for some and only a fanatical place for religious Christian people who believe in it. But as we've already established, friend, heaven is real. I will tell you this, as I have already showed you in the scripture, heaven is real. And not only because of that, but because the Holy Trinity of God has declared that heaven is real. Now listen carefully. From this verse, Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, and Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9, we see that millions of people, so many that the number, the crowd cannot be counted. And I will tell you this, that every single day that goes by that Jesus tarries his coming, God is adding to the church. It's important for you to know that because I truly believe that God knows when the last person will truly respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. God knows who that individual is. He knows when it's going to take place. And I believe this, as long as men and women are still being born again around the world, Jesus will tarry his coming until that final one says yes to God. When that one gives his heart or her heart to Christ, I believe God's got it all worked out. I don't have to figure it out. Listen, the Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall come. I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. All I've got to worry about is am am I ready for his coming because he is coming. I don't know when. I don't know where I'll be. But thank God I'll be in that number when he calls me home. Amen. Now, if the body of Christ was fully complete, I believe we would be in heaven right now. But people are still getting saved all over the world. There are hundreds that need Christ right here in this community in Richmond, Virginia, thousands in our city. And the scripture teaches us that there will be more people in heaven than we could possibly ever dream. So many that the number could not be tallied. Heaven is going to be made up of people, according to that passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 7. Heaven's going to be made up of people, not just Baptists are going to heaven. I'm, I'm glad I'm going to be there with some, some Pentecostal brethren, some, some Presbyterians, some Episcopal, and they'll find out that you really needed to be immersed in water when they get there. Amen. But I will tell you, they'll get there on the same train I got, and that was by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now listen, every denomination, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue will be there. Heaven's going to be fully occupied. I'm glad to announce to you today that there are not going to be any empty seats in heaven. Listen carefully. There will be no empty mansions in glory. No for rent signs on the street of gold. No vacancy signs. Every single mansion will be fully occupied. I'm telling you, if your name has been inscribed, written down in the Lamb's book of life, your reservation can never be canceled. You're going to heaven. Somebody say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. And I have great news for you this morning. If you've got a reservation for heaven, I mean, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, whether you like it or not. Preacher, that ain't a word for me. I get nervous. I get fearful. Listen, it makes no difference if you get used to it here or not. When you get to heaven, friend, you're going to be using that word every time you turn around. And then I wonder how many of us, (laughs) I don't know. 
Listen carefully. You say, why are they saying that word, preacher, in heaven four times? Because, listen, people can finally see the completed plan of salvation. If you look at verse number one again, chapter 19, verse one, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation. Look at that word, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord. Hold your place. I've given you this verse of scripture that I want to share with you right now several times in this series. Hold your place right here. Quickly go back to the left with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. And I want you to see what a sight is waiting for us to behold. Keep your place in Revelation chapter 19. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, the apostle Paul is writing and he says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now listen carefully. All of us this morning who claim to be saved, we claim that there was a day and a time, a place and a point in our life when we gave our hearts to Christ. I really believe that none of us, including myself, because of a scripture like that, none of us can comprehend in our finite mind what that's really all going to be like. Listen, we ask the Lord to come into our heart and to, and to be our Savior, and he saves us. Listen, we, we all know that we have lived sinful lives, that we, we were born sinners. We know the only way to go to heaven is to ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart and to be our personal Savior. We know that in order for us to make that process complete, we have to confess our sin. We have to repent of our sin. And the Bible says when we do that, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that when we do those things, we are saved. But I, want to understand, I really want us to think about it just for a moment. Do we really understand what that means being saved in its fullest you think about it just for a moment. I, I really believe that we only really truly have a glimpse of what salvation is all about. The truth of the matter is this. I believe we can only see half of the process. We can only see half of what salvation is all about. I know a little bit about what I've been saved from. How about you? The Bible tells me that he picked me up out of a horrible pit. He put my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my mouth. I'm telling you, friend, listen carefully. I've been saved from the shackles of sin. I've been saved from a devil's hell. I've been saved from eternal separation from God. I know what I've been saved from. But I tell you what, when I get to heaven, I'm going to realize what I have been saved unto. Amen. When I cross the swelling tide and reach the other side and I see the walls of Jasper, the gates of Pearl, I see the throne of grace and the street of gold. I see the tree of life, the host of the redeemed, maybe my guardian angel. When I see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I see my loved ones who've gone on before me, when I see that Mr. Cancer has said goodbye and Mr. Arthritis has taken his last breath, when I see pain and sorrow left behind, when I see all the undertakers out of business, and I see Jesus face to face. Dear friend, I'm going to stand to my feet. I'm going to lift up holy hands. I'm going to lift my voice and do a glorified jig and say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Because I will then see not only what I've been saved from, 
but what I've been saved unto. Glory to God. I'll tell you what, it's going to be worth it one day, amen? Amen. Secondly, this morning, the second hallelujah will be because the redeemed will see the world and its hatred towards God finally judged. I don't know about you. Look at verse 2 and 3, Revelation 19. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. Friend, I'll tell you what, I believe this is going to be part of the eternal reward for those of us who go to heaven. This world, as you know, I'm telling you, and it's getting worse every day. This world hates God. This world hates Jesus. This world is forming a growing hatred every day towards Christianity. But I will tell you this, friend. They can do all of that that they want to, but there's coming a day. I really believe when every Jesus hater, when every blasphemer, when every evolutionist, when every person that voted to ban the Bible, when everyone that voted to remove prayer from school, everyone that persecuted the church, everyone that belittled God's family. Listen, let me tell you this. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, is going to lower the boom on everyone that trampled upon his holy, righteous, sacred blood. They can laugh at us now. They can mock us now, mock God now. They can isolate us now. They can outlaw prayer from school. Listen, they can take down the Ten Commandments. They can uh, ban nativity scenes. They can reject him. They can curse him. They can mock him. They can try to make his word politically incorrect. But I'm telling you, friend, one day God is going to have the last laugh because the word says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm telling you what, I'm I'm tired of the devil. I'm tired of this whole world. And I'm looking for the day when the Lord Jesus ties a rope around its neck and drags them to the place where they need to be. And then I just might have me a glorified raspberry when it happens. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Ah. I'm looking forward to the day. Did he do that? Yes, he did. (laughs) Chapter 19, verse number four. And the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. I believe we're all going to shout hallelujah, friend. Listen, when we see his face. Oh, my goodness. Notice those words. Fell down and worship God. I want you to think just about for 10 seconds what our eyes are going to see. Friend, we're going to see salvation completed and at its fullest. One day, we're going to see all the holy angels of heaven. One day, listen now. 
If you can get this in your mind, you're going to see all the cherubims. You're going to see all the sephirims. You're going to see the mercy seat. One of these days, you're going to see more glory than you could ever begin to comprehend. One of these days, we're going to see the blind man who used to be blind, who had his sight. One of these days, we're going to see Lazarus, the man Jesus called from the dead. One of these days, we're going to see the woman who had the issue of blood. One of these days, we're going to see the man who was let down through the rooftop. One of these days, we're going to see John the Baptist, the apostle Paul, the prophet Daniel. But I tell you what, friend, I cannot wait until my... My eyes get fixed on the lily of the valley, the sweet rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning, the end, the prince of peace, the kinsman, redeemer, the lion of Judah. Thank God one of these days I'm going to see the one who's conquered hell, death, and the grave. And when that happens, I'm going to lift my voice and say, hallelujah. Worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all pass, home at last, ever to rejoice. Friend, I can hardly wait for that day. The one who's whispered peace to me, the one who's calmed my storms, the one who's answered my prayers, I'll get to see him. Lastly, this morning, if I could make it without having oxygen or (laughs) some kind of medical help up here, I believe we're all going to shout hallelujah. When we see some of you saying hallelujah. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Listen, I can't wait to see some of you do it. In verse 5 and 6, and a voice came out of the throne saying, praise God, praise our God, all you servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. reigneth. I want you to look at that. You, you might say, well, preacher, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and every now and then, I, every now and then, I really do. When, when Brother Kyle sings them good songs and you preach hard, every now and then, I want to go. You don't know how much, preacher, I won't do it. <laughs> you might say, not me, preacher. That's, I, that's just not me. I'm, I'm just too, that's too fanatical for me. I'm too dignified, preacher. I'm too reserved. I, I'd be too embarrassed. I, I, I'm more concerned about what others think. It's not really necessary, but let me tell you something, friend. When you get to the other side of Jordan, what anybody thinks ain't going to amount to a hill of beans. I'm telling you, you won't have to worry about all your worries anymore. Amen? 
You won't have to worry about those personal little quirks. You won't have to be pumped up, tugged to do it. You won't have to be taught to do it, encouraged to do it, nudged to do it, compelled to do it. Friend, you're going to find out just what you have missed out on all your life in earth. Because when you look around heaven and you see the Lord Jesus, you see north, south, east, and west, you're going to see that everybody else is doing what you wanted to do all your life and give God one big hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Friend, I don't want nobody to take my hallelujah in heaven. I don't want nobody to take my hallelujah on this earth. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you, there's no reason if we're going to heaven and one day praise him over there why we cannot praise him over here. There are many reasons today for us to shout hallelujah. Four in the Bible, countless over there. Truth of the matter is, he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about eternity. If you've never, never given your heart to Christ, I'm not asking you right now. Let me, let me make a, a critical point here. I'm not asking you, have you ever used the word hallelujah? I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you right now, have you ever given your heart to Christ? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If you've never given it to Him, at this moment, friend, you have no ch- chance, no hope of using the word hallelujah. If you've never given your heart to Christ, you need to do it today. Why? Because you will die and go to hell unless you do. You might say, well, I'll take my chances. Friend, I beg you not to take chances. I beg you to take Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.